How do you honor God? By doing everything to the glory of God. Not just not sinning, not just, okay, you don't steal from people, but by making good shoes. If we're going to talk about you were a new creation, that means everything has to change. Why does God not just, you know, bring people to heaven immediately after being saved? It's because there's stuff to do here. There's a point to all of this. And if we're Christians, we do it better, or at least in theory. But if we really apply the standard that's set in scripture, then we know that no one is good because no one is God. We serve a storyteller. We serve a, a God who has a perfect plan, a sovereign will for every moment of history. It's not about going into the world to make artists. It's about going into the world to make disciples. This is the Christian Artist, honoring Christ's new creativity. My name is Caleb. My name is Carly. And my name is Isaac. Yeah, yeah. We don't have a Connor today, um, but that's okay. We will continue on and going along with our just kind of like new world of the Christian Artist where we just have uh, lots of fun guests and talk about fun things. Um, as we continue that lineup, we have my good friend, Isaac, here to talk about politics and Christianity and how those two things intersect. Before, before we get into all that jazz, Isaac, who are you? What do you do? What, 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 are you, what are you about? Well, um, for one thing, first and foremost, I'm a Christian. I follow Christ cool. and, um, Hey, me too. Well, really? No way. Um, I am a Twitter provocateur of sorts. Um, Yes, you are indeed. I I really am. That's a good description. (laughs) Um, Get into lots of arguments, but also have a lot of uh, really good fellowship with people. I've Mm -hmm. made some very good friends, uh, very dear to me on the site, including yourself. Um, And let's see. other kind of non-related things. I am a math and computer science major. Um, currently, I go to the University of Sioux Falls, but it's looking like I'm not going to be back there next year mm. um, for for various reasons. But anyway, um, and I actually have a software uh, development position, um, but I've been kind of putting that on hold because of school and stuff. Yeah. So. Yeah, that's entirely fair. So we, uh, when we kind of, we're talking about having you on. We kind of went back and forth on what the specifics of the, of the topic might be, but we settled on politics and Christianity. And so I want to ask you, when we think about those two topics and how they intersect, how do you approach that intersection? How do you approach those spheres of thought where do you begin, right? Like uh, you, with you as a Christian and a, a person who is interested in politics, you know, someone asks you what your opinion is on some sort of political thing. Where do you, where do you start with a conversation like that? Take it through your question. brain. <laughs> yeah. So politics is really about how people organize themselves mm-hmm. in society, because if you have more than one person, you have a lot of questions to ask, like, who gets to use which things, Yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Um, if you have one person alone on an island, they can, I mean, they can pretty much do whatever they want. They yeah. can um, grow trees. They can, you know, pick the fruit off the trees that are there. They can set up camp anywhere. They have no conflict. But if you have, the moment you introduce a second person, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you have the potential for conflict. 
So what if that person also wants to use the tree, right? Like, mm-hmm. is does someone own the tree? What is right. property? <laughs> you, you need a way to resolve these disputes because mm-hmm. these disputes are going to come up and um, pretty easily it's easy to see how um, something like property rights arises as a solution to this problem. I use this thing first and I, let's say, um, person A was going and using this tree every day and all of a sudden person B wants to use it. Well, person A has been using it. They've homesteaded the right to that tree. Um, However, since it is their tree, they can, say, pick the coconuts from it and trade it with that other person and trade then leads to the emergence of something like markets um, where people exchange things for goods. And over time, things like uh, money can emerge um, as a kind of universal means of exchange. Um, of course, those things all, all take time, but um, you can read uh, Ludwig von Mises for that. Um, I, I'm by no means an economist, more on the, I fall more on the theory side right now. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so you, so you get those sorts of things. And one thing we do see a lot is that um, things like the Ten Commandments tend to really reflect this sort of thing. They, they don't explicitly tell you, okay, well, you know, you have multiple resources and you need people yeah. to know how to use they, they don't go through that. They just tell you, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. What is right. Like yeah. What mm-hmm. is right. Um, but I mean, they very much do reflect this system of property rights. Mm-hmm. Don't steal is one of the commandments. There's a reason for that. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Ultimately, we don't own things because just because we own them. Mm-hmm. We own them because God owns them and he allows us to steward them. Yeah. Um, and the system of property rights is, is not saying this ab- ultimately in the end, this thing belongs to me and will for eternity. No, it belongs to God in eternity, but he is allowing you to be the steward of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have a friend, um, a very funny thing. His name is also Isaac. Uh, and we agree quite a bit on politics. Cool. And um, he has, um, has done some work to kind of show how a system of property rights is going to lead to a natural order, which is most like likely to reflect a godly society. Mm-hmm. And in fact, if you look at what a, a lot of libertarians have said, say, take Lou Rockwell, for example, very big in the libertarian community. Um, him and his cohorts have said things like uh, a libertarian society is really going to look like uh, a traditionalist conservative society. It's not going to look like this degenerate hellhole where people are you know smoking crack on the on the corner all the time yeah yeah mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah i think was it you who posted that who like tagged me in that thing on twitter where it was like a quote from doug wilson and it was yes. yeah yeah and it was basically <laughs> like you know um if we and i I'm, I'm gonna butcher the quote uh let's see if i can find it actually real quick uh let's see doug wilson was it you don't want to misquote Doug Wilson freedom. and get him in more trouble than he already I, is. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he's in enough trouble already. Um, yeah, I, I can't find it. But um, basically, the the sentiment of the quote was, you know, if people actually, you know, went back to, okay, what does the Mosaic Law say? And just, like, went straight back to, you know, ancient Israel, Mosaic Law, that is our founding, you know, uh, law for everything that we do they'd be really, really surprised with how much freedom they really had. 
Yeah, um, yeah, I, I yeah. found it actually. You found um, it? Cool. It, yeah, if we went back to the law of Moses, people would have so much freedom they wouldn't know what to do with it. Yeah, yeah. Um, yep. And mm-hmm. it, I, I found it very interesting because this guy is actually not a Protestant; he's a Byzantine Catholic. The guy who um, quoted it, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he was. Uh, well, now he's changed it to say Greek or Ukrainian Greek Catholic, but it's the same thing. <laughs> um, but he he's very interested in. Um, the, the concept of integralism uh, are you familiar with that I, I mean it's the term sounds familiar and i'm sure as soon as you explain it i'll be like oh yeah i know what that is but I can't think yeah of so it's kind of it's kind of like um to put it crudely it's the uh catholic version of theonomy mm. um Interesting. it has a different perspective i think <laughs> um but basically the point is the end of man is to go to heaven and worship God and to, you know, live with him and enjoy him for eternity. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, So human political structures should reflect that. Now it actually doesn't say anything about the state as say you or I would define it. Um, And this, this guy, this friend, he's by no means a statist at all. Um, He he calls himself, um, well, he's, he's changed his bio so many times. <laughs> um, for a while, he was saying paleo-libertarian. Um, mm-hmm. I think he would deny that now. I think he still would hold that. But right now, he's this theocratic libertarian um, because he very much wants uh, political structures to you know, orient man to the end for which he is designed, mm-hmm. which is um, eternity with God. Yeah. Now, of course, we, we live on this temporal world. We have this little bit of tension where we are beings oriented towards this eternity with god um and that's what that's what we're made for as humans we are made for that um i'm not sure how much you would agree with me with this but um i I believe there's scriptural support for the idea that hell was not made for people it was made for the devil and his angels but people go there because they choose to or because they reject god now we can have a debate about free will. Sometime, yeah, I mean, I mean, but... yeah, yeah. I, I, I think I agree with that in one sense, right? Like in terms of hell was probably obviously there before Adam and Eve fell. Um, mm-hmm. But then you have to come into to terms with, okay, well, God is completely sovereign and also completely knowledgeable of all of the entire future. So like right. in one sense, of course, hell was in some sense made for the people that will go there as yeah, well. Yeah, it really just depends on the semantics a lot, yeah. I think. Um, but I get what you're saying. But but, but anyway, um, the, the, the key point to take away is that we should want our society to reflect, um, to reflect that, to reflect that the telos of humanity is mm-hmm. to go to heaven. And, and well, I suppose go to heaven is kind of ambiguous. <laughs> Is to and slightly reductionist, yeah. With God, yeah, yeah. reductionist. To glorify um, God and enjoy Him forever. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a good way to put it. And and from my perspective, I I would say, I would describe it in one word as theosis, to be continually made more like God, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. by His grace and His mercy. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So now, of course, I think I mean I think he and I would probably have some disagreements, but. Um, one big thing is we really emphasize a focus on local politics. I am very much convinced that um, organizing politics on a local level is the way God intended it to be. Um, yep. Yep. Now, of course, I think I, you can I, definitely I, see that just from the way that um, the Mosaic Law is is given, uh, and the way that it talks yeah. about those things, right? Like we have this weird 
American view, modern view of government in the way that it's structured, um, where it's very centralized, very um, multi-tiered and faceted to the point where, you know, one big organism, you know, one big umbrella has control over a lot of smaller umbrellas, um, where in most cases um, in history, it's actually been, um, you know, much more localized than that. Um, yeah. And then people become tyrants and then they start conquering others and then they put them in this giant empire. <laughs> we we yep, just did that without the, um, without the explicit conquering part, I guess. Right. Um, <laughs> definitely. And, and I do think not only when you go beyond local governance, which I don't think, by the way, I, I'm not saying we should have, or that my end goal is small states. My end goal is no state. Um, and a decentralized private law society, yep. um, as best articulated by by Haba. <laughs> um, but for sure, small states are very preferable to large states. Yep. Um, and the larger the state is, the larger its span of dominance. I think I would argue, and this is maybe kind of a bold statement for some people, but I'd argue the more satanic it gets. Um, the more sort of uh, individualized your um, society gets. And I don't mean individualized in the sense of individual rights, but philosophical individualism yeah. or atomization. Yeah. Um, I, I'm a strong, firm believer in the idea that um, when you politically, sorry, that political collectivization goes hand in hand with um, philosophical individualism and social uh sort of communitarianism goes hand in hand with political individualism now of course that's still a little ambiguous what do i mean by that well i mean individual rights right essentially the non-aggression principle as we'd understand it um and you can't separate that and it actually makes a lot of sense right if you politically collectivize a nation right you take a huge chunk out of everybody's income and you have government programs to give it to certain people mm -hmm then you can essentially subsidize people's lifestyles. You can subsidize all of these sorts of forms of degeneracy and you can subsidize laziness and you can subsidize all of these very non-Christian values. Very, very true, yeah. Mm -hmm. um, so political collectivization is not the, um, it's not at all the answer to wanting sort of social collectivization. You need a society based on voluntary giving and voluntary yep. um, interaction. You can't have this sort of forced redistribution. It creates this atomization that we see yep. in our world. Yeah, um, totally with and, you on that one. And I would say it actually leads to the sort of liberal democracy we have today. Mm -hmm. um, and um, I have a friend who I was talking to um, who's talking about classical liberalism. And we did like a political tier yeah. sort of thing where you have like, Oh yeah, I saw the I saw the little um yeah uh what are they yeah, what are those so, called the like just political balls like political balls yeah, yeah they're not really a good name for them <laughs> um but one of my friends I put classical liberalism somewhere in the middle but he put it in F and I was wondering like well what's your perspective on that and he said because of social contract theory and then it clicked with me it's like I was coming at more from like classical liberals tend to be minarchists or whatever. Yeah. So, you know, we'll put them on like C tier because it's not as bad as it could be, mm -hmm. you know. But um, 
But he was coming at it from no classical liberals actively advocate the state through the social contract. Mm. And when you do that, you're saying th the social contract is I agree to um, contribute to society implicitly. Implicitly, just by existing, by being born. Right. <laughs> Essentially, but yeah. And by using the services, which, by the way, people say, well, you use the services. Yeah, in many state. ways, you just don't have a choice but to use the services. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And, and more particularly, I'd say they've monopolized yep. those things. Yep. They have forcefully um, taken a monopoly on those things. And, and as a, a good example of this is with the postal system. Yeah. Um, Lysander Spooner in the uh, 1800s, I might be wrong about that, but he tried to compete with the U.S. Postal Service um, and they shut him down. They yeah. forced him to stop. This is a forced monopolization where they will not let you um, do your own service. They will not let you do your own thing. You have to use the states. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, right. We have this situation where someone is born into a society that has, um, you know, many services have been yeah forceful forcibly monopolized to the point where um you have no choice but to use those services to continue existing in the society they've constructed that you are now living in um and were born into and then it's assumed in this strange uh political ideology that you are agreeing to all of this just by existing <laughs> it's it, it's very it sounds yeah it's easy to, to to eat it up when you're in school and you're like uh in what seventh or eighth grade or even in high school you know i heard social contract and i was like oh okay yeah you know that makes sense and and but, you know why that this is so we actually had this conversation i don't know if we had this on a podcast just a little bit ago or maybe not, i'm trying to remember where i had this conversation but i've been talking with someone recently about the <laughs> uh the education system um in america right and the fact that um oh it was angel <laughs> episode of disagree oh, with me that sense. i haven't yeah. released yet um uh we were talking about uh homeschooling uh that article that came out right. about homeschooling that the, the anti-homeschooling article or whatever we were talking about okay. the public education system and the fact that um uh john dewey um uh the um i believe his name is john dewey right like the guy yeah, yeah. Yep. Dewey's yep. system. yeah i always get mm -hmm. his name mixed up with someone else's <laughs> that his basically goal with the creating the federal like bureau of education was to literally be anti-christian like he was is explicitly like we need to make these you know impressionable youth take them away mm -hmm. from any christian foundation and and mold them into perfect citizens of our new socialist utopia that we're building <laughs> like that was mm -hmm. the goal and it, you, it is explicitly stated in a lot of his writings um and so right like that's the sort of thing that we're all implicitly um taught um and explicitly taught to uphold through the public education system um mm -hmm. and it's not it's not a it's not a, a coincidence we're we're li quite literally being brainwashed yeah no, <laughs> quite literally and, yeah. and public education is one of those things that the government is trying to monopolize exactly on yes uh -huh. <laughs> yeah. they, they, always trying, trying to, to make it harder and harder and for anyone else to do education and, yeah. yeah the the only difference is that like i mean like you mentioned there's it's still legal but people say oh well we don't what do you mean um that, that uh the government hates private education if they did one they just make it illegal well they already make it really difficult to yeah because if you send your private kids to school you're paying their tuition and you're paying for some other kids right. tuition out of your property taxes exactly yep. so <laughs> you already have to have a lot of money to really be able to afford that yep. or you have to give up some things in your life to be able to afford that so 
it's already heavily disincentivized. Yeah. Furthermore, um, not only do you have that, but they also are forced to abide by certain standards set by the state. Yep. Right. They have to teach certain things. Yeah. They have no choice in the matter. They have to teach a base set of things. Now, I will say, if you go to a Christian school, you're probably more likely to come out a Christian than you are if you go to a, a, a public school. It's yeah. not like they basically yeah. do the Definitely same thing. Definitely more likely. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, and I was kind of lucky in that respect because I'm very stubborn. Um, and so throughout school, I would hear something that I disagreed with and I'd be like, oh, that's just wrong. Right. Okay. Yeah. I don't care what people think no, about me. Knowing you that I believe that. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm already enough of a, an outcast socially that I really don't care how badly people think about me. You know what? Bring it on. Um, so, yeah, I... It definitely is there, and it's in every uh, aspect of it, too, because um, I remember when I was in biology freshman year, um, I think I had a pretty, in fact, my teacher was probably trying to make as much of an allowance for variance of opinion, which I, I give him props for, but like he didn't ever teach what the creationist theory is. He just mm-hmm. said, well, this is what I'm told to teach you, evolutionary right. theory, and you know, some people believe the universe was supernaturally created and whatever. <laughs> and whatever, but, you know, yeah. <laughs> he didn't make it sound stupid. Like I, I felt kind of good about it because he didn't make creationists sound stupid. Mm-hmm. He just said, but this is what I'm told to teach. So yeah. this is what I'm right. going to teach. Yeah. So one of the things um, that's, that's kind of coming to my mind as we're talking about this is right. Like, I think when we're talking about politics and Christianity, it's important to realize that. And, and this is just something that we've been talking a lot about on the Christian artist, And I've just been talking a lot about in just in life. Um, but nothing no sphere of life is is thought about or um lived in a vacuum um away from christian away from your worldview right away from your religious beliefs um Mm -hmm. and so when we're talking about politics and christianity we have to and i think this is part of the the question for me right is like where do i start to like when when i'm thinking about politics and christianity where those two, two intersect um, for me, right, like it's thinking about like, okay, I have to start with Christianity. I don't start mm-hmm. with, ah, oh, well, what what political theories might make sense, right? Because if I right. do that, then I'm already in some way capitulating to some other worldview of right. political theory, right? And so because that's that's what the education system is doing, right? It's already mm-hmm. it's it's founda- it's foundationally building some sort of political theory on secular hu- humanism or statism or whatever you know sort of thing. Um, and not Christianity. And so when we're thinking about this topic, right, we have to be very aware of like everyone who comes to the political sphere has some sort of worldview, has some sort of agenda already in place just because of their cultural biases, religious biases, whatever it is that they're bringing to the table when they're having this conversation. And we have to be aware of that as Christians, our foundation should be the word of God. And then we come to any other sphere of life and say, all right, well, now we can apply this, these standards to this sphere or that sphere. Right. Um, And there's no such thing as an unbiased person. Everybody's biased. Everybody's biased. Um, Even if somebody is trying to be as empirical as possible, Mm -hmm. and they are literally just trying to be as flatly um, scientific method-ish, if you will. Um, Scientific (laughs) method-ish. Almost sounds like Methodist. (laughs) Well, I mean... um, But even if they're trying to adhere as much to that as possible, and if they say, if they make any kind of claim about, if you can't prove it with the scientific method, then it's 
just not true or you can't prove it's true or yeah. i mean that's actually a statement about epistemology philosophy yeah that's not just this it's yeah. not an objective statement everything boils down to a philosophical assertion yeah and, everyone has a worldview yeah just depends right. what that worldview is mm -hmm. yeah uh empiricism says what can what exists is what can be seen or observed in some way yeah well, what's the justification for that? It's just, oh, well, I've grown up my whole life never believing anything except for what I can see. So, I mean, I guess that's just true. It's kind of like thinking in a circle because yeah. you're really not actually, you're not thinking any deeper than um, what you can see and what you can observe. Um, and so then anything that you can't see you just say, well, I can't, that can't be justified. You can't prove that. Which, by the way, there are excellent, excellent uh, philosophical proofs for the existence of God. There's, there's so many that you, even, even despite the passage of the Bible that says that general revelation should be sufficient for people to know there's a creator. Mm -hmm. There are so many philosophical arguments. You, yeah. There is no excuse. Yeah. There is no. <laughs> it's there's just too many and they come from all kinds of different aspects people make arguments based off of morality which is i mean a little bit of a higher level when it kind of takes something that people already uh believe that is the existence of morality which some people reject i do know people who reject that <laughs> i don't know how those um, people exist in the world and function as a human being but me either i i don't either like honestly we we, we used to um uh, me and angel and, and some others used to uh do some uh, ministry outside of uh, a local university here in, in Wisconsin. And mm -hmm. we'd have like a whiteboard and have a question of the day and then have conversations with people about Christianity and various parts of it. And one we had, we ended up, we have um, ongoing conversations with this one guy and he kept, like we kept having philosophical conversations with him about like, you know, deeper, like foundational stuff of like why we believe in Christianity and, and why he didn't sort of a thing. And he was literally like, you know, complete nihilist, complete, like, <laughs> subjectivist. There is no reality, like, literally at all. Um, like, yeah, no, no, no subject, no objective reality oh existed. My. And we were, like, literally, like, dude, you don't believe that. Like, you can't <laughs> no, believe that. No. Because if you did, you wouldn't, you would probably just maybe kill yourself, right? Like, yeah, there, it's just solipsism. Yeah, there's there's nothing that like you don't you don't functionally live that way as a human being. Um, right. You don't. You absolutely <laughs> you act as if not. there are there are actual physical things happening to you that are real and you're responding to them. Why are you at school? Right. If you're yeah, <laughs> yeah. What, what are you doing here? Why are you learning do something else. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. How, how do you learn new information? Yeah. If everything is contained within your own existence. Yeah, exactly. It doesn't make any sense. Right. It's like, you yeah. know, just go do whatever you perceive as being the most pleasurable possible and then die. And there you go. Yeah. I, it's, it's a terrible way to live. Um, and, and honestly, I mean, it comes, it comes down to the question of, can I anticipate feeling good ever again in my life at this point? Right. If I can anticipate feeling good again or experiencing some sort of pleasure like eating pizza tonight or something yeah. um, then maybe i want to stay alive maybe i want to mm -hmm. um persevere through whatever boredness or sadness or anything i'm yeah. experiencing that's negative i'll just push through it so that i can you know have that but if i cannot 
see in the future where I'm going to feel, say I'm depressed, that I'm ever going to get out of that pit. Literally the answer is just kill yourself. Yeah, exactly. It is the answer. That has to be the logical answer. Yeah. Exactly. Because your ethical system says, um, seek the most pleasure possible. Well, what's, what's more pleasurable, um, negative pleasure, i.e. pain or nothing. Yeah. Well, nothing, obviously. Yeah. So, I mean, that it, it's kind of a self-defeating. It's, it's very self-defeating. Yeah. And that's, that's what we kept, you know, having a conversation with him about. Um, but, but ultimately, right. Like that's, what's kind of, um, foundational about this conversation is you know when we're talking about politics when we're talking about how does how do we live right with other people um it's it's ultimately like we have to have some sort of ultimate foundation some sort of ultimate objective foundation on which to have these discussions or else why are we considering politics at all right Mm -hmm. like there is no ethical imperative for anything it's it is literally anarchy in the derogatory sense of the word right where it's right. you know we just do whatever we perceive as pleasurable but th- again that's not how people live right and, right. and people you know atheists will argue right like you know people have you know uh gotten societies together and do things that are moral because it's the best for the species survival right the and it's like why do we care about the species survival right. like right. yeah there's no if everything is subjective, if everything is just purely chemical, um, why? Right. Right. There has to be some sort of deeper epistemological foundation for something here or else. Why are we having this conversation? What they're describing is a, um, is a sort of is right. Rather than an ought. Yeah. They're, they're describing the way things are. Yeah. They're describing (laughs) why things have happened they're not describing why they should have happened yeah. or what should happen. Mm-hmm. They're not saying what you ought to do, only what has happened and yeah. what you are. And, and I guess if they're going to bring that into the modern day, they're going to say what you will just tend to do, right? They're just describing your most likely behavior rather than what you should do. Yeah. So, but, but, I've, but every atheist that I have ever met or had a conversation with or heard speak on the internet will tell people things that they ought to do. Because yeah. <laughs> we're moral creatures, right? Especially right. in the area of, pol- of politics, right? I, mm-hmm. a- atheists are some of the most vocal people in the realm of <laughs> politics. Um, and it's because they have oughts, right? They have mm-hmm. things that they want to be done and, and think should be done. Um, right. But unfortunately, but they, they don't have, have no, an ultimate reason for why. <laughs> they have no epistemological foundation, which yeah. makes it mm-hmm. very just kind of a vain pursuit. Um, but when we're coming to politics, it's not a vain pursuit. And that's actually a cool thing about talking about any of these spheres, right? Like politics, religion, um, economics, whatever it is, Uh, being a Christian is, and and looking at any of these fields of study is awesome because we know that we have a firm epistemological, logical, um, reasonable foundation to have clear discussions about oughts about mm-hmm. why things should be the, you know, certain ways. Um, right. and it's cool. It's hopeful. Mm-hmm. Indeed. <laughs> um, I mean, a lot of atheists essentially kind of have to slip into this mindset of, um, and I saw, I actually saw an atheist who explicitly identified this way the other day, um, but into egoist anarchy, um, right. which is where they say, you know, they, they essentially make the telos of human life life itself 
humanity itself, or rather, more particularly, the ego, one's own self, is the end to which we are made. Well, made, rather, they would say, like, come into existence yeah. more formally, but um, they would just say, essentially, do what you want. In fact, even though they call themselves anarchists, they don't even necessarily, they, there's no prescribed reason they have to, like, be against the state. It's more philis- uh, like a a moral anarchy or an anomy would probably be a better word to yeah. describe it. A sort of actual lawlessness where they believe that um, law doesn't really exist or rules don't really exist. They're just kind of socially constructed. Um, now this is distinct from most leftist movements. Most leftist movements have like affirmative moral <laughs> assertions, whereas these people would just say, yeah, do what you want, you know, Everything is a spook, they say. You know, it's just made up in your mind. And so just do what you want because none of them really actually have um, moral weight, I would mm-hmm. say. So it's, it's very discouraging to see, um, see that sort of trend. But it's not very popular. I, I, think it's, um, I think it's pretty rare. But, I mean, it is actually the mindset of many atheists whether they realize it or not it is very much the way they um they would say they that morality is um they would say uh for the most part that maybe it really doesn't exist now you have people like sam harris who does claim that morality is objective um and ayn rand for example was an atheist who believed i mean she created objectivism yeah because she believed there was a moral absolute yeah but she just didn't believe in a God, which doesn't really make sense, right? There is no absolute if there is no God, because that's the definition of God is the absolute. The absolute, whatever is the absolute, yeah. Right. So Um, it's, yeah. It's just a lot of nonsense, really. Mm-hmm. So, so now that we kind of talked about, um, you know, foundational stuff, um, like that, I'm actually, I'm actually really curious, Isaac, what is your story getting so interested in politics, right? In, in political theory and in economic theory and all this stuff. Like, tell us, tell always, us a bit of your story. Yeah. I've always been interested in politics. Yeah. Um, I had a bad opinions for a very long time because I was a very young kid when I first started getting into politics and having yeah. opinions. Um, yeah. So let's see. I'm thinking 2014 was probably when I got on Twitter. Mm-hmm. I was 14 years old. Nice. I was not very, not very mature. Um and made my fair share of mistakes, let me tell you. Um, but I kind of got involved in the normal um, conservative political sphere. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, nothing really out of the ordinary. The uh, Ben Shapiro, Stephen by... Crowder, sort of. Yeah, <laughs> yeah uh-huh. Steve, Stephen yeah. Crowder was my gateway in. There you, um, go. Yeah. there you go. I was there for a while, too. Mm-hmm. See, I actually um, never, I was never there uh, personally. I was pretty much disinterested in politics. And and then I, I stumbled headlong into <laughs> into anarcho capitalism and theonomy. <laughs> oh man, that's yep. that's crazy. I went through, um, yeah, I went through some weird phases. So I went through the conservative phase for a long time. That was years and years. Um, I didn't. Let's see. It was about a year before I started actually seriously getting into politics because my friend. Um, it was the one who introduced me to Steven Crowder. Um, and we're both ANCAPs now. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> I, I was before him, though. The funny thing is, he 
was the one who was becoming more and more libertarian. Mm -hmm. And for a long time, I just cared. I was basically like a trad con who's like, I just care about cultural values. And I don't really care about economics or stuff. That's the road to fascism, by the way. (laughs) Um, um, Yes, it is. That's so, so true, though. I mean, that's basically what a description of Nazism. I care yeah. about traditional values, but I maybe don't really care about economics. And that's probably how most of the Nazi citizens let their <laughs> right. They, government it's this be sort of a populism where it's like, yeah. I just want economic policies that are good for the nation. That are good for us. Yeah. Like for right. the people, for our ethno state. <laughs> mm-hmm. Which never really turns out well no, because really um, the people they, they say we want economic policies that are good for us but if they really actually meant that they would be austrian economists exactly but, yeah oh well um they, mm. they think do things that are they think are intuitive like tariffs and um yeah. and such things um just talk to a paleo conservative they're very much obsessed with tariffs um <laughs> but yeah so Oh man, I lost my train of thought. Where was I before this? Uh, you're talking about your friend um, who. Uh, yes, I was a traditionalist, and you were conservative, a sort of. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it, it's very funny. I remember this moment. I was in Spanish class, and I was next to him, and, and uh, he said, "Taxation is theft," and I said, "Well, Jackson, <laughs> not all taxation is really theft." <laughs> and first it's funny mistake when you ever talk with a libertarian. <laughs> Yeah, he he actually recanted. He said, "Oh, it's just a, it's just a joke, man. Like, I mean, yeah, I don't like taxes very much, but like, they're not really that okay. I weak, whatever. Weak. Then not long after that, because he was a minarchist. Yeah, that, yeah, right. And I was still tried on whatever. Um, and I would say, by the way, I still hold just as traditionalist conservative values socially as I did then. Mm-hmm. It's just my political um and economic stuff. Yeah. Yes. Oh, yeah." Um, so not long after that, I kind of started going down the minarchy rabbit hole. Um, and I don't remember. I think I was there for a little while. Yeah, actually. Mm -hmm. You usually have about a couple months for me. It was, I think about six months as usual. Mm -hmm. Um, but I remember I was talking to him. I don't remember if it was before I was minarchist or whatever, but we were talking about immigration and he had a, a more, he was more, um, pro- like not quite open borders, but more pro-immigration than I was. Um, and I argue, I argued that immigration law was a good thing because Romans 13. Oh my. Oh dear. <laughs> oh boy. What's funny is some of the people probably who will eventually listen to this podcast will be like, wait, wait, what's wrong with that? That isn't that what yeah. <laughs> Yeah, they, they don't have the insider information. Get, get ready because of the next, I believe the next or maybe the next, the second and next episode of Disagree With Me is going to be Angel and a friend of his right. having a, an argument about immigration policy. Oh, <laughs> yeah, it's fun. It's good. Nice. It was a good one. Um, so that was kind of that was kind of a cringe moment for me. Mm-hmm. Now, I will say at this point, I I'm not open borders and I, I, I can, we could talk about that later if mm-hmm. we want to, after I kind of get done with this, but I don't come at it from that perspective at all. Like, because that, that's the very much statist mindset. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and my, my perspective is very much different, but um, it's very sociological rather than legal. Um, but, but anyway, um, that was a, that was a moment for me. No. Um, and then I, let's see over that summer was kind of when I made the leap, mm-hmm. um, where I finally said, you know what? Okay. This is, here's a little bit of a tangent again. Um, but, but it's kind of a story about yep. how things happen. So I was a minarchist and I was like, oh, this is all cool and whatnot. <laughs> they all and, do. <laughs> yeah. And, um. I'm a cool libertarian and whatnot. Um, and what I did is uh, we had band camp, right? Where you go and you learn some of the marching band show for school mm-hmm. and stuff. And um, one of the days, the theme days that we did as um, the drumline or percussion in general was um, thug day. I was like, Hmm, how can I put a Christian spin on this? And I was like, Christian anarchism. There you go. That's you go. pretty thuggish for a Christian, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And so I, I made up a t-shirt. Let's see. Actually, let me look. I think I have it in here. <laughs> okay. Is this it? No, that is not it. Ah, Aha, I found it. Cool. Here it is. Ugh. Oh, nice. What does it say? <laughs> I couldn't quite no read it. No king but Christ. No king Although, but Christ. Yeah. Instead of Christ, it's like the initials Cairo. Sure. Because um, I couldn't fit it. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so I wore that and I was like, oh, yeah, I'm a cool, thuggish guy, you know? <laughs> um, <laughs> and so I, I, it was kind of just ironic. Like, I was like, I'm not actually an anarchist. I just think this is kind of cool and <laughs> little you know, did you know. Theme. Little did I know. Not long after that, I got into some of the anarcho-Christian stuff. I followed anarcho-Christian on Twitter, um, mm-hmm. and then I listened to one of I heard one of his things about taxation. I think and really just made the argument that taxation is theft, mm-hmm. right? It's it's coercion. And I was like, oh, <laughs> ah, it clicked, and so I then became or began calling myself a Christian anarchist. Now, I had no idea about anarcho-capitalism or uh, Murray Rothbard or Hans Hoppe or any of them. I had no clue. In fact, I was actually a pretty dumb libertarian for a couple of months. (laughs) I was really bad at arguing and a lot of my positions were very just emotionally based. Yeah. Um, And I did not, I did not think a lot. Um, I did not think. (laughs) It was a, it was a, it was another cringe moment in my in my history, um, but over time I, I got to learn a little more. And um, for a long time, uh, do you listen to Tom Woods? I have listened to an episode of him in the past, but I don't really listen regularly. Yeah, yeah, he's he's very great. Mm-hmm. I, I highly recommend. No, yeah, his I, I like anything I've seen from him. I follow him on Twitter. Um, so nice. Mm-hmm. Um, I listen to his podcast all the time. Um, also, Bob Murphy, Austrian mm-hmm. economist, anarcho-capitalist, yep. and Christian. Yep. He attends a PCA church. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was very... Knowing that there was a Christian anarcho-capitalist theorist out there kind of gave me that confidence that my political views weren't unjustifiable. Mm-hmm. Um and that they had some grounding. Now, mostly at this time, I will admit, a lot of the time I was just trying to 
find ways to justify my views yeah because i didn't really have a way to justify my mm -hmm. views you know it's you're raised to justify the status mindset. You're you're raised, not. I mean, your parents will sometimes have a little bit of this influence on you because that's the way they were raised too, but not intentionally. It's really the public schools, especially, that yeah. hit home this justification for um, statism and um, uh, a unitary, powerful federal government mm -hmm. over states' rights and stuff. Like that. What, what's so What's so funny about that is you know because of you know, we, we can, you know, a lot of most Christians that are like legitimate Christians would consider themselves conservative. But mm -hmm. like when you think about what conservatism is now compared to what conservatism is was um, 50 years ago, like any of the normal conservative positions today would be considered far leftists like mm -hmm. far left views in like you 50 years it. ago and it's yeah. so insane and i try to explain mm -hmm. this to people and they don't just don't get it like it's like yeah public education is leftist right it's mm -hmm. it's liberal and they're like what it are is. you talking about <laughs> yeah it's because, um, you know, an... they just keep shifting the line over mm -hmm. there's an excellent quote um i'm not sure if you're familiar with michael malice um, mm -mm. But he says conservatism is progressivism driving the speed limit. Yeah, um, <laughs> and that's exactly Oof. what it is. Oh man, I'm gonna I'm gonna Oof. tweet that. <laughs> oh yeah, um, Michael Malice. Michael he's Malice. a he's a a friend of Tom Woods. I I don't know much about him. He he kind of likes Ayn Rand, but he does not uh, like abide by objectivism. Um, he's an anarchist. Um, other than that, I don't know much about him, but he has a lot of really good quotes out there. Um, and he does stuff on like North Korea um, and is a ghostwriter. That's about all I know. It's spelled but, um, like the word malice? Yeah. Okay. Just making sure. Um, so, so, yeah, that, that is really one of my favorite quotes from because it's so true. It's oh, yeah. so true. Absolutely true. Yeah. It's, it's exactly what you said, where you look 50 years in the past tell somebody a position a conservative holds today and they will say what are you some kind of progressive yeah. or what are you some kind of like big government status like they're not going to be thinking that you're uh, a sane person at all like i mean maybe, maybe sane okay maybe, maybe that's a step too far but they will think that you're a radical yeah. they will not think that you're just oh, yeah. a liberal or a conservative yeah my most of my uh it's so funny because um, Facebook and Twitter are just such different, different beasts. And like, I post a lot of the same things on Twitter and Facebook and you'll see like, cause, because most of the people I are friends with me on Facebook are like people I had known in real life and like friends and family oh, yeah. and like relatives and stuff. Mm -hmm. And, and like p these people are just like, what are you talking about? I don't understand. Like this is, none of this makes any sense. You're such, you know, yeah. you're crazy. And, 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 and I think one of the things that the reason I brought that up was I think what's important when we're talking about politics and Christianity and, and kind of thinking through these things is we cannot use modern, you know, conceptions of conservative Christianity as our starting point to have these conversations. They're not Absolutely. good starting points because it's so culturally influenced. It's so, mm -hmm. um, uh, you know, compromised over time because of uh, the state continually getting its fingers in, in these ideologies um that we have to go back way further than that we have to go back to oh, yeah. scripture as a foundation and just work outward from there with trying to clear away as as much bias as possible and then mm. getting to the core of of what it means to love neighbor um in in the political realm 
Um, right. If we don't start there, we are going to end up, you know, looking like, and I, I get it. A lot of Christian conservatives, they, they totally mean well, right? Like they mm-hmm. absolutely do, oh, but, sure. but they've grown up in a culture that is not Christian. And so a lot of the things they consider good Christian values are just cultural instead. They're culturally American, but not culturally Christian. Um, right. So, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and the way I would sum that up is neoconservatism is cancer. That's that's sure. pretty much what it sure. what it boils that's, that's down a pr- to. That's a pretty good yeah. That's a pretty good adage. Just add that with feminism is poison. Yeah, well, I mean, you could even say feminism is a part of neoconservatism. Um, yeah. But I mean, absolutely, yeah, I hundred percent agree with that. Um, yeah, I'm just thinking about how like conservative Christianity is also really feminist now, and they don't realize yeah. it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and and the thing about neoconservatives is they're often associated with their war hawkishness, which is something you see in Christian conservatism. Mm -hmm. Very unfortunate. Um, but it's not just that it's also that sort of watered down, not very culturally conservative. I mean, you'll get Christian conservatives who will stand proudly against things like drag queen story hour, but that's like baseline stuff, man. That's like, (laughs) if if you're not standing against that yeah yeah um and that's what's kind of crazy about all this stuff is those sorts of things like the fact that only those sorts of things actually shock conservatives into some form of action anymore it's like mm-hmm. you know i totally get it it's like yeah of course we should be concerned about that but like you should have been concerned like 20 stages ago when the you know when yeah. the public education system started existing but you weren't yeah. concerned and now we are here <laughs> right mm-hmm. You bear some of the responsibility yeah, for this. Exactly. For, I mean, you're just complicit in the continual left. I mean, I, I would I would argue, and I just listened to an episode on Apology Radio about this. I've been catching up with all my podcasts. Um, but one of the things they were talking about is, um, you know, as the church goes, so goes the culture. Um, mm-hmm. Right? Like, we, as the church, are primarily responsible for the flavor of the culture because we're called to be the salt and light of the world. And if we are not right. um, keeping pre- preserving the good in the world flavoring the world with christ and exposing wickedness then we are responsible for the sin that corrupts our society because that is our job Mm -hmm. our job is to stand against those sorts of things so much so that when you know the the beginnings of this started we should have been there front lines saying absolutely not we will not even begin to tread down this path but we we let it go and now we're here so, mm-hmm. and now Christians have to fight against something like drag queen story hour because mm-hmm. we have compromised so much that na- only now we are realizing the depth of our irresponsibility. Mm-hmm. And, and even if you look in general conservative circles today, you see this um, mass acceptance of very left wing social ideas. Yeah. Um, you, you have this support for um, the LGBT movement. Now, now, allow me to say I, I do have friends who are a part of that and i love them yeah. dearly mm-hmm. and i wish i hope that someday i can convince them otherwise yeah um but to normalize it and to make it a very part of your movement like it's just weak in the knees man yeah you're you're totally refusing to stand up against something that isn't part of what your movement is supposed to be about right yeah. um a uh, key example of this is Charlie Kirk 
uh, posing with a drag queen. That that mm-hmm. was a moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The dude just is such a grifter. He's, I mean, <laughs> conservatism is already ruined. But man, let me tell you, he's not doing anything to help. Yeah, yeah. You know, he, he'll he'll talk about how we'll, we'll never be a socialist country, dude. We've been a socialist country for a while. We've now, been a man. socialist con- a country since Jimmy Carter, at least. Yeah. You know. Yep. Like, FDR, man. Yeah, and F- FDR. That's that's the really where it started. New Deal. I got all yep. new deal. That's um, the that's the rise of statism in America. I mean, I would say that the rise of statism statism in America, if it began anywhere, it began with Abraham Lincoln. Um, that's true. With yes. the not letting the states secede. Um, right. Right. Um, but yeah. you get in trouble for saying that. Oh, you totally true. do. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. You do. Abraham Lincoln. <laughs> okay. I'm just going to say this right now, just yes. so to offend everyone possible. Um, Abraham Lincoln was a horrible racist man. Just going to say that right now. He was and not a good person. I even, yeah. And I, surprisingly in my public school education, I actually kind of learned that, that you awesome. know, he wasn't, he good. wasn't primarily for freeing slaves. He was primarily for keeping everything it. Literally, it literally took a bunch of Christians hounding him night and day and calling him to yeah. like basically repentance for him to sign the emancipation declaration. And the fact that, you know, it was politically good for him at that point to do so. Right. They, needed, they needed soldiers, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. they needed free labor, from right. the slaves that uh, just so messed up gosh mm-hmm. it's so messed up but, and, uh, anyway and really other you know the confederacy did not do anything wrong um i mean slavery was the, wrong, yeah the slavers course. and right. did something wrong that, and, and the fact that the confederacy like protected the slavers absolutely but that was wrong yeah the confederacy seceding from the union not wrong absolutely that was not, not wrong. wrong yeah and everything and I really mean that in the sense of the po- no, the political... nothing that the North attacked them for yeah. was wrong. Yes. Yeah. Everything that the North attacked them for and invaded them for and killed their women and children and slaughtered them and uh, brought mass destruction and violence on them for yep. none of that was wrong. They, the North, like you said, did not care about slavery. Nope. It was all about the, the power and the centralization of power. Yeah. And keeping the union together. The, up to this point, people didn't say we are, oh, oh, this is the United States of America. These are the United States of America. Yeah, yeah. After Lincoln, it's this is the United States of America. Yeah. This is one unified nation. Yeah. Um, which, by the way, it's not. It's actually multiple nations um, forced, forcefully integrated under a supranational state. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Because so, we're not one nation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so when we're, and and this is the sort of stuff that people that unfortunately when we're when Christians come to the political sphere, um, that would be heresy. Anything we just yeah. said there would be heresy. And it's Absolutely. it's because it's because these Christian people, well meaning, are coming to politics through republicanism and not mm-hmm. through the Bible, not through Christianity, right. Um, right. not through the church. Um, we have to start there. Otherwise, we we can't look objectively at these things. We are always going to be looking at them through, you know, and we're going to be looking at them through a lens no matter what, but the lens will be the objective lens of the ultimate truth of scripture, the word of God, the anostas, and not, um, you know, uh, the muddied lens of republicanism that has been slowly, uh, you know, disintegrated from actual conservative uh, values, both politically and economically, to some look like something that liberalism was 50 years ago. Um, you mm-hmm. know, like, it's just... 
it's sad. It is. It's very sad. It's <laughs> it's tragic. And the more I learn, the the uh, I guess you could say that the more of a black pill it is. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. Everything just looks worse and worse, and you just really the big thing is now seeing conservatives support essentially leftism, and it's yeah. just like, well, yeah. what I are mean, you anymore? I mean, I mean, really think about this. Like, I'm gonna still step on some toes here, probably, um, but like. Just think about Trump right now, right? Mm-hmm. Trump is not a conservative. He's no, not a Republican, not. but he's the Republican candidate. And it was because he wasn't quite as crazy as Hillary Clinton. Yeah. Right? Um, you know, Hillary unhinged. Clinton was obviously unhinged and like really radical, even for, for leftism, right? Um, mm-hmm. But Trump is also a radical leftist when you really get down to it but mm-hmm. but the, the the line has been moved so far to 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 the left i'm going the wrong way so far to the left um that republicanism you know has accepted trump as this paragon of republican virtue when even 10 years ago he would have been considered uh you know a Democrat, a like Democrat. hard, hardcore Democrat, right? And he mm-hmm. was, like he he has been oh, for yeah. his entire life. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's just, is, it's insane. Oh, it is absolutely insane. Um, it's just, it's sad to watch your society burn to the ground, but sometimes you realize it's time. <laughs> it is time. <laughs> yeah, and, and that's the thing, right? Like I, be, it, it it is depressing to think about that. But for me as a, you know, as a Christian too is, you know, I believe that uh, God is sovereign and that he is not, you know, it's not, he's not, uh, you know, up in heaven being like, Oh my gosh, no, like none of this should have been happening. Right. Like he obviously knows where history is going. He's planned it. He's ordained it. Um, You know, I'm not worried ultimately in an ultimate sense that we're not on the good timeline or whatever. Right. Um, um, and as a post-millennial, uh, Christian, right? Like I, I know that this is just a passing wind in the long scheme of, uh, of, of history. Um, right. Mm -hmm. Jesus wins. Jesus reconciles all things to himself. Um, and so, uh, if America falls, then that will be, uh, the, for the ultimate good of God's people and for God's glory. And, uh, it will lead to something probably much better, um, for everyone. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so you know what if america versus the ground it's fine it's had its time um yep so the empire has to end someday exactly it reminds um, me of a uh, a rise against song uh that talks about at the beginning of the, of the song it's like um uh, i don't know if this is from something or they just recorded this but it's like a couple people talking and um this guy's like yeah america is gonna last forever and then this guy's like what makes you think your, you know, your empire will last? All great empires fall. You know, uh, Rome was destroyed. Um, Greece was destroyed. Spain was destroyed. Like, what what makes you think your empire will, will stand or others have fallen? Um, right. And that's ultimately, you know, it, it is what it is. All great empires will fall, um, mainly, primarily, and theologically because Christ is king and no one else. And mm-hmm. God gets glory when tyrants fall. <laughs> right. So anyway, this is just, is we've gone on so many tangents. I, I'm about them. <laughs> um, and I kind of expected this would be how the conversation would go. Um, but yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm trying to think of um, a direction to kind of 
to sync this. Here, let's go. Let's. What? Go ahead. It's 13. What? Romans, Romans 13. 13. Yeah, yeah. Okay, let's do it. Let's talk about Romans 13. Um, let me just read it. Let's let's read Romans 13 real quick. So when we're talking okay. about the state, obviously, right, like as Christian, we have to deal with Romans 13 in some way. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Romans 13, verse 1, and continuing, let every person be subject to the governing authorities, this is the ESV, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger that carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection not not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this you also pay taxes, for the authorities are ministers of God, because uh, attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. Well, I all guess right. we can't be a Christian anarchist. I guess we just have to completely throw away everything we've been saying because we just have to do ex- everything daddy government says, right? Is that what that passage Got to pack it up. Got to go gotta, home. Got to go home. Um, <laughs> I would like to point out a couple of things. Yeah. First of all, the word that translates to taxes, I don't know exactly what it is, but um, evidently taxes is not actually the best interpretation. Tribute would be a better interpretation. Yeah. That makes sense. So it's not quite the same. And um, as far as I understand, I might be wrong, but I don't believe it's actually, uh, it implies compulsion. Um Though if you read it in the context, you could see how maybe it would, um, but it's not a sure thing. Yeah. Um, anyway, yeah, this was written to people who were living under the Roman Empire. Mm-hmm. Roman Empire was by no means a Christian society, Mm-mm. right? Definitely. This not. government is a wicked, evil government. Yep. Right. So, so you have to kind of see the irony. Well, maybe not irony, but the the tension. Yeah. Between him calling him God's servant and talking about an extremely evil government. And also the, um, the kind of tension um, that you also see earlier when some, some very wicked people and groups in the old Testament, which are very clearly evil and doing evil things are called God's servant or um, Assyria. Yeah. Yeah. Assyrian Isaiah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Also Babylon and Babylon. Right. Yes. Uh, these are all called God's servant. Are they good? No, they are evil. Yep. They are evil, evil, evil. Mm-hmm. But God is using them for yep. something. So th- that's really one important aspect of that. Now, what's the main point of this? Obey the authorities. Now, that means do not throw Molotov cocktails, okay? <laughs> yep. don't, don't go around firebombing federal buildings, okay? Yep. That's not the way a Christian is supposed to conduct it. Absolutely agreed. Yep. Um, yeah. We are supposed to be peaceful people. We are supposed to be loving people. Yep. And um, so, so don't rebel. There you go. I can affirm all of that with my whole heart Yep. and have no crisis of conscience being mm-hmm. um, an, an, an anarchist. Further, being an anarchist doesn't mean we're against. Now, I've been using the word governments. I should have been saying states. Yeah, we're not against government as this the civil 
um, the civil magistrate, the civil magistrate, right? We're not against that. Yeah. In an anarchist society, you would have civil magistrates. Yep. You would have people who legal authorities, right? Uh, there are small groups of anarchists and even maybe some who would call themselves Christian anarchists who want to abolish all of that. Right? Yeah. But we're not, we're not that. No. We believe in legal, legal authority. So this also could perfectly apply to our society, um, where if you lived under our society, you should obey the legal authority that exists there. Mm-hmm. So it's not a, um, it's not at all saying that you cannot advocate for a different system than exists, right? That's not what do not resist what God has instituted means. Yep. It means don't fire bomb buildings, right? <laughs> yep. Don't do terroristy things. Don't, because uh, I mean, the, these Christian groups in the in the early church were very angry and yep. uh, enraged by the sorts of things the government was doing against them. They're, you could very much see how they would want to rebel, how they would want yep. to fight back. These are people, as much as they are Christians, they were also raised in a society mm-hmm. that was violent, mm-hmm. that if, if a group was being oppressed, they would very much be um, wanting to commit violence in, in order to, you know, either protect themselves or, you know, tear down the order that's oppressing them, right? That, yep. but, but Paul is saying, no, don't do that. We are different. We are not like the rest of society. Yep. Um, and so there's really no issue with Romans 13 where, where people seem try to create this tension. I have come full circle. I've struggled with it for a long time, actually, but I've mm-hmm. come full circle to be fully comfortable holding the views that I do. Now, I will actually add, I'm not a huge fan of the word anarchist. I'm going <laughs> to call myself a Hoppian. Um, I even flirt with like neo-reactionary and stuff like that. But, <laughs> um, <laughs> but that, that, it, it, just, it does it's have fun. It's a fun term. Right. The, the word anarchist does have a sense in which I am one. Yeah. But there is a lot of associations mm-hmm. with uh, leftists, leftist Very anarchists yeah. that I do not like. Yeah, a lot of the Marxist revolutions of Latin America, you know, come to mind. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, um, so yeah. Yeah, you know, one one maybe good thing to just uh, to kind of summarize what you were just saying, right? Is um, as Christians, we aren't called to be revolutionaries; we are called to be reformers, right? We want to change mm-hmm. things, mm-hmm. but we right. do that through grassroots societal change and persuasion, right? right. Not through mm-hmm. And through the ultimately through the power of the gospel, right? Um, right. Through Jesus and, and the Holy Spirit, um, but uh, we don't do that through through violence, through revolutionary action, um, right? Because we don't we don't need it. Um, <laughs> ultimately, we don't need it. We like the 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 Christian Church turned the Roman Empire upside down, and they did it without dropping without shedding a single drop of blood. Um, right. right? They they completely took it over, like, um, mm-hmm. and it was because they followed Romans 13, right? And, yeah. and, and were reformers and not revolutionaries. Um, right. Now, in the end, you get Constantine who does a bunch of forced conversions, but, yeah. you know, we're not, we're, we're not advocating that at all. No. But. Yeah, and, and, but that, w- that was, again, that was the state doing something bad. Um, that wasn't, a, you know, Christians doing something bad necessarily, right? Like, um, right. Or, or, you know, but, but that's the, the kind of, the, the way, the way, the reason it got to that point where Constantine could be like, I'm a Christian now. And then to like, just be like, let's change the whole Roman empire, um, is because the Christians had done such a good job of completely per- like persuading the culture at large to not persecute them and like, you know, uh, consider them good 
right? They they were good citizens and they right. acted like it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, let's let's go through this verse at a time. I, I think I think it'd be good to kind of kind of pick through this a little bit, right? Let every yeah. person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. I think that's the place where we have to start more than right. anything else, right? Like mm-hmm. who is in charge here? Not the state, not not any of these people, um, not us, not the church, not whoever. God. God's in charge of everything, everyone, every time, every place. Um, right. And so there is no authority except from God. And, and so those that ex- exist have been instituted by God sovereignly. Mm-hmm. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. And those who resist will incur judgment, right? So going back to the, you know, the interpretation here would be revolutionary acts. You're not going to, don't, don't resist in a violent fashion. Um, but we have so many examples in scripture of civil disobedience that it's impossible to interpret Romans 13, meaning you can't be civilly disobedient. It's just impossible. Right. Um, and then for rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good and you will receive his approval for he is God's servant for, for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid for he does not bear the sword in vain. He's a servant of God and a avenger who carries out the God, God's wrath on the wrongdoer. I think that's the most important part of this whole thing because mm. got to think about, it. okay, yeah. it says do what is good and you'll receive his approval. What is good? Is it whatever right. the state decides is good? Or is there some sort of objective moral standard <laughs> by which we live as Christians and by which God, you know, applies injustice to the whole world? Okay, right. there's, there's an objective standard. So that means the government is just as, you know, um, under that authority, under that moral obligation as we are. Mm-hmm. Um, that means we do what is good, which means we follow God's law. And then mm-hmm. if the government is doing its job, then there no one will have any problem, right? Like because the government right. will be following God's law, we'll be following God's law. Everything's fine. But as soon as, you know, uh, if, we, and, you know, his, um, Paul's exhortation here is we just got to control what we can control. You be good. You follow God, right? You, you do mm-hmm. what is actually right. And if the, if the state is doing what its job is supposed to be doing, you will have nothing to fear. Um, and, but this also means that if the state decides something is right and it's wrong, we don't suddenly change what we do to appease the state. We continue to obey God rather than men. And then, you know, guess what? Right. God's wrath is against those who are wrongdoers. If the government is the wrongdoer, guess who is going to be the object of God's wrath? Not the people who are continuing to follow God, even though they are under a a state that is saying otherwise. It's the state that is going to be judged for disobeying God's law, right? And so to to get from this passage that we have to just follow an authoritarian state and whatever they say is right, we have to agree with them and just follow them is so out of tune with the rest of scripture, it's ridiculous. Mm -hmm. Um. It's impossible just, to yeah take that view. People will just pick this bit out of scripture, these seven verses, yeah. these seven verses, and it just destroys everything else. You know, all your other scriptural basis for your views is, <laughs> yeah. is null and void because I have Romans thirteen verses one through seven. And if and if they apply, all of the Christians that I talk to who use Romans thirteen in that way, right? They're applying mm-hmm. scripture to say you have to obey the state because you know, God has instituted them as them as authority. Then I would, you know, the question I would have for them is, all right, so what happens when the, when the, um, when the state says you can't preach the gospel, what do you do? Mm-hmm. 
And they'll be like, well, well, of course you have to obey God rather than men. Then why aren't you obeying God rather than no. men way over here? Yeah. At the fundamentals of, you know, I don't know, thou shalt not murder, thou shalt not steal, <laughs> thou shalt, you know, thou shalt, right. you know, don't commit adultery, whatever all that other stuff is, right? Love your neighbor right. as yourself. Why don't you obey God rather than men way over here on the basic fundamentals? And, you know, instead you, you wait until the very last moment where you could possibly disobey the government, the point where every moral whatever has been completely thrown out of the window, and now they're directly atta- attacking your ability to, you know, to to freely speak of the gospel. Why is that the only point at which you're going to, you know, be civilly disobedient? Um, yeah. And it's just it's it's sad because like we have lost our lost our. Um, foundation for well we've lost our foundation to deal with politics right we've, mm-hmm. we've lost our foundation to deal with these political ideas in a meaningful way instead we just say well we just re- we reduce everything to its most simple idea um its most simple reductionist idea and say well romans 13 says we gotta obey the government that means we have to obey the government um, yep. If I'm sorry, but if you use this sort of exegesis on any other passage of scripture, you would be laughed out yeah. of every church that was worth its salt. Um, <laughs> you know, like we, we don't interpret other passages like that. Yeah, it's it's just a stretch, and it's it's sad. I mean, I used to think it was the most obvious interpretation, but when it, when you consider everything together, it just doesn't it just doesn't work to no. take it like that. Yeah. Because if you did, you would be contradicting at least like five or six other passages of clear yeah. direction to dis- to disobey the government when it comes into a uh, direct opposition to God's authority. <laughs> so, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Cool. Cool. Well, do we have any, any other thoughts? Any other uh, considerations uh, on politics and Christianity? What? <laughs> immigration. Immigration. Oh, we just want to get into that. Okay. Yeah, that's a that's a yeah, that's just like a kind of hot button hot button topic that people, you know, a lot of Christians seem to have one view on. I think it's because of public, you know, um, populist conservatism. Mm -hmm. Um, And and I think it's very rare that you'll find and I'm one of these people, but it's very rare you'll find someone who doesn't think that um, we should have, you know, uh, closed borders or whatever, you know, like that sort of thing. Um, and isn't a liberal. There's a very rare subsect of people. Yeah. And, and so it's kind of funny because if you ever say like, you know, if I ever say like, I think we should just let people come to this country. Like, I don't, I don't know why we have to, uh, you know, stop them from coming to this country. Someone's like, Oh, are you, are you a radical leftist? And I'm like, no, I just nope. don't find. You should have seen me. Yeah. You should have seen me getting into it. I'm sure you've run into Dave before on Twitter. Dave. Oh, oh. Presby polemics. Presby polemics, Dave. Yeah. 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 I got, <laughs> he, called, he called me. I got unfollowed by him. Yeah. Yeah. He called me a radical leftist for holding to Rothbard's position on immigration. Yeah. Which isn't, it's, it, it, it probably differs. I'm, I'm going to be honest. I probably differ from your position, but possibly yeah he it wasn't his so yeah you know what yeah. are you gonna do yeah he uh he 
he unfollowed me because I I deigned to make the comment that um, uh, the police um, that we're in more need of like police reform and the you know the stuff that's happening in America with you know police brutality is worse than um, uh, I'm trying to think of the exact context of of which the but basically uh, stacking up. All right, you know, is it a more important concern to um, have, you know, people in the military out in these random Middle Eastern countries, uh, you know, conquering these people basically for no reason, um, you know, mm-hmm. fight, attacking innocent people for um, for oil, basically? Um, right. Or is it more important to, to is it more dangerous, you know, to to a more important concern to, to say, hey, we need to have police reform and, and stop police brutality? Um and I got on follow because he he basically said, "Oh, you're 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 uh you're one of those f the cops people, right?" Yeah, and I'm like, mm. "Yep, that's exactly what I said." Sure. Yeah, that's you. You can just. Uh, he is a straw man factory. Let me tell you about yeah. that. Oh. But yeah, my my position is that immigration enforcement should be as local and humane as possible. Mm. Um, I would prefer not to have federal borders i'd prefer state borders and i'd prefer even to that city specific borders where individual cities and policies make their own decisions about who comes in and out and in that process i i think it actually kind of goes hand in hand with being humane the the more local you try to do things the more likely it's going to be that you're going to find a humane answer right even if you build a whole wall on the southern border and you're still going to have to employ some kind of inhumane tactics like mm-hmm. um, throwing out gas and stuff like that. Yeah. Now, should the people be rushing the wall? Maybe not, but still, it's probably going to happen. And, and while that's not great, it's also not great to, you know, gas people. Um, yeah, I can agree with that. Yeah. <laughs> but if you do things on a more local level, you're going to have less trouble with that, especially if you have things on like a city level, like in say ancient Israel, you have walls around cities. Mm -hmm. Well, it's pretty hard to to get over a city wall. You got to put some effort into that. People can't just stream into your city un unmonitored, right? They have a wall to get over. Mm -hmm. Um, And, and you don't have the, because you don't have a bunch of like, surface area on the wall right you just have it around the city instead of thousand miles across a borderline yeah it's easier to it's more effective so i think that um i do think as an extension of property rights groups have the right to exclude whomever they wish from their communities but having local enforcement of those sorts of things is far 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 more humane than having it on a federal level. Plus the the more federalized or rather the more, uh, the higher tier of government it's done on, the more centralized it is. Yep. Um, and it it gets closer to that possibility of, you know, the, the wall could be used for more than just keeping people out. You know, it could be used to keep people in. Yeah. Um, I mean, not to say that can't ever happen on a local level, but when you have smaller polities and smaller political entities that are all kind of close enough 
uh, close up to each other, if one decides to start enacting measures like that, unless they do it like real flashbang fast, people can um, just move. People can move, right? The right, uh, the what's it called? Like the right of exit or something like that, mm-hmm. um, where they they can get out of there and hightail it and move to a different place. That's part of the competition between um, microstates approximating uh, a private law society. Um, because even though it's not, because even though you still have entities that have monopolistic control over a region, the region is really small. Um, and so even though there's not overlapping jurisdiction, it's pretty close where people don't have to move very far to get to a different jurisdiction. Yeah, I think I'm, um, I'm pretty much with you there, um, right? Because my my initial, like if someone asked me, like, what's your opinion, opinion on immigration policy? My first response would be like, private property rights would totally take care of that. We don't have to worry about it beyond that. Mm. Um, but I but I think, it, yeah, it would totally be within the realm of possibility, right, for a, a city or a local mun- municipality, right, to just decide, like, as, as a group, like, yeah, we're going to build a wall. We're going to, you know, keep people from living in this community that we don't want to, to live there. It's like, okay, that's, is, that's fine. Right. Like, mm-hmm. um, but it also, it, it's infeasible and doesn't make any sense for a state, um, for a country to do that. It just doesn't make any sense. And it, it's ultimately harmful to that country because you're limiting most of the, and, and this is just the fact of the matter. Most of the people who are moving to this country just want to live here and work. And that's mm-hmm. really the, the the gist of it like obviously there are like some incentives in terms of like liberal policies that have that have made it possible for you know tax dollars to go to um to immigrants who um you know are just living here and they're basically just getting free money sort of a thing from taxpayers but that's 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 a completely separate issue that's not about really immigration at all yeah i think i think the solution to that is very simple and while i would advocate you know just an immediate abolition of the welfare state a good step in the right direction would just be to say you can immigrate here according to local policy, right? Because, you know, we, we can't go straight to private property land right away. Right. Um, so we just want to get immigration policy as localized as possible. Yeah. So you can go to wherever is going to like invite you to go. Um, but you're not going to get welfare benefits. You're not eligible. And by doing that, you return closer to a free market sort of system where um, it's all about really supply and demand, but not only supply and demand, culture matters too. You know, some, the reality is there are going to be plenty of places that depending on where a person comes from, their cultures may not mesh well. And that's just the reality of humanity. Um, And so maybe it would not be beneficial ultimately for both parties for them to work there, even if they could get a job. Um, But like I said, that just comes down to letting people make decisions with their property. And if you want the most peace and prosperity, you need to just, you have to go to off of private property rights Um, because forcing people who don't want to live, there's two aspects, forcing people who don't get along very well to live together is disastrous. Um, but furthermore, restricting people from moving when one person clearly wants to invite another in a be- mutually beneficial relationship is not very helpful either. Yeah. So there's two sides of it that, I mean, really just because of this, the way the state handles it, it's mm-hmm. just, 
and, and by the that's way, ultimately the, the issue is is right like i think like um because i'm just thinking back to the conversation that we had on disagree with me and i don't want to like simply spoil anything but um one of the things that just kept coming up is you know all the different considerations about like um you know like this you know f- f- we want to have america be for america and stuff like that and you know like why are we giving benefits to, you know, these other people who are coming in and whatever. And it's like pretty much all of the concerns about like, you know, um, tax dollars and jobs getting, being given to people um, because they're, you know, they're, it's, uh, they'll take the job for cheaper or whatever. All of those problems are solved and are non-issues when you take out all of the state's regulatory whatever's out of it and then just, let the free market work as it as it will right if you want special mm. privileges for american citizens to get a better job over someone who could do it for cheaper then you don't i don't think you understand what freedom is right <laughs> like so yeah it's weird yeah it's um i think it's an issue that really everybody has except for you know a special few people with special knowledge Gnosticism mm-hmm. or no. special Gnosticism. <laughs> yeah. um, but really, everybody has a just a pretty bad position on it because there's pretty much the two main positions, and neither of them is really good, right? Um, you have the the liberal view and the conservative view, and neither of neither of them is even in the right mindset. They're both on that statist mindset of how do we want the state to handle this. And the libertarian says, well, we, we don't want the state to handle this. And maybe there are some ways in which the state can come close to, you know, approximating what would happen in a free market. But ultimately, we would really rather this be left up to the private sector and and self-determination on the local level. Yeah. Yep. Yep. <laughs> cool. My contribution of nodding head. <laughs> yeah, I mean, any other considerations we want to talk about? Um, I think we've covered a lot of interesting things for sure. Oh yeah, I, I mean, I can go on for hours about yeah. so many things, but yeah, it has to end somewhere. It does I have guess. to end somewhere. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I mean, so if you want to to get more hot takes um like this uh isaac where can they find you on the internet and and see the stuff you're doing um well let's let's see you can find me at my twitter account uh at loki underscore x t i a a n uh honestly that's about it i guess i'm on facebook too you can just look up my name but i guess that's kind of more personal so if you find me cool but if you, if you don't yeah. then probably also cool <laughs> yeah yeah if you find me that might be creepy depending mm-hmm, on who you are mm-hmm. one of these days we need to meet up in person because we do you're a cool cool person that i want to to hang out with more um yeah 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 and this is all stuff right that um it's really fun to talk about and i just you know challenge anyone who is just like throughout this whole episode just been like i don't what like why it this is so different um from everything that i've considered when i consider politics um it's because i think when you really come at politics from just a purely um just from a foundationally christian perspective um it ends up being very different um from what normal worldly politics looks like most of the time 
Um, so join us in the world of not fitting in anywhere. Um, <laughs> it's a fun place to be as much as it can be lonely. It is fun. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, you can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Christian artist at, uh, at Christian facebook.com slash Christian artist. Is it really just slash Christian artist, Carly? I'm trying to remember. Oh my gosh. I, I've done so? this spiel. It doesn't like, sound wrong. A million times, and suddenly I just don't understand what anything is. No, uh, Facebook.com slash Christian Artist Show. Yeah, um, okay. uh, uh, on Twitter, at Christ underscore art underscore show. And at our website, at ChristianArtistShow.com. Tomorrow we will be releasing a new episode of Disagree With Me. I honestly, I think it's going to be the immigration one, but we've recorded like four or five at this point, and I don't know which one I want to release next. So I'm trying to decide. <laughs> I had to talk to Angel about it. Um, also, we, we recorded an episode on the coronavirus situation, and I don't know, I don't want to like wait too long to release that one, just so it's like immediately relevant to like the current stuff that we were talking about um, related to it. Um, but yeah, that'll be, that'll be tomorrow. And then I believe we have normal RPG streams this week, Thursday, Terranolius, D&D, and, uh, Friday, Hellbreaker sequence, doing some apocalypse stuff. But, uh, thank you very much, Isaac, for being on the podcast. That was a lot of fun. Um, and, uh, we will be back next week on the Christian artist with as I bring up my episode <laughs> schedule next week we are talking with <laughs> oh yeah we're talking with uh, with Nick um, oh, oh, nice. oh yes. that's yeah. gonna be so yeah. great I'm, yeah. I'm, so, I'm excited I'm so to see that I'm, I'm not to I'm not gonna so <laughs> Well, uh, here, I'll just, we're going to talk about Lutheranism. That's what we're talking about. Ooh, ooh, oh no. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's what we're going to talk about. I won't, I won't, that's technically not the full title, um, but I will, uh, uh, I'll leave that for, for next week. Um, I do have to, see, I have to DM him and make sure we're still on for that. Uh, I haven't <laughs> talked to him in a while. Yeah. See, now, now that would be something we would disagree on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Cool. cool. Uh, but yeah, we got a, a lot of fun people to talk to. Um, on uh on the old podcast that i'm really excited about um may 11th so the week after that we're talking with um art in the bible the book art in yes. the bible with uh, cs johnson on twitter um that'll be fun we need to listen to that audiobook carly mm -hmm. um and uh, i have it in my planner as a test to do cool. the day before we record the episode awesome, <laughs> yeah it's only like it's like an hour and a half long the audiobook yeah. is so it, it'll be easy to listen to she said take notes though because it's like apparently there's a lot going on in the, in the yeah. book so um and I'll, i'm gonna put together some some talking points some questions and, and stuff but yeah lots of fun stuff ahead on the christian artist but uh, for now we are done thanks for being on again isaac it was a lot of fun and absolutely. Uh, thank you and for inviting yeah me. absolutely yeah, yeah it, was, it was great to have you and we'll be back next week with more christian artist goodness have a great week athena is <laughs> about something I gotta take care of her. Adios. <laughs> <laughs>